0: FINGERS FROM THE GRAVE by Edwin Carey Rank From The Black Mask Magazine, September 1920 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Read by Dale Grothman FINGERS FROM THE GRAVE by Edwin Carey Rank tom grimstead was not looking for a story when he decided to spend the night in the haunted carry house as a newspaper man he had frequently exposed many bogus mediums and spiritualists but the accounts of those who had spent or rather tried to spend a night in the carry house seemed so authentic and honest that grimstead who was enjoying his vacation in the quaint new england town of sedley longed to experience some of the thrills that had come to these narrators There was a presence in the house quavered Martin Stacy who had once spent part of a night there I I felt it Could you see it asked Grimstead Martin shuddered No, he whispered, but I knew it was there whatever it was if anybody sneaked into your room when you were reading without making any noise you would feel they were there, even if you hadn't seen them, wouldn't you? Grimstead nodded. Well, it was that sort of feeling that came over me in Missus Carey's bedroom. Martin Stacy's story was similar to the others. They had all felt a sinister presence in Missus Carey's room, and the feeling had always been followed by senseless, unreasoning terror that made them flee into the night. The Carey tragedy had been the grimmest story that had ever occurred in the town of Sedley. Twenty years before, Weldon Carey had brought his bride to the old Carey house, which had been built by a colonial Carey and inhabited by Careys ever since. Selma Carey was beautiful and vivacious, and she appeared to be as madly in love with the old house and its colonial traditions as she was with its master. Then came the tragedy Young mrs. Carey was found murdered one morning strangled to death and her husband told incoherently How two burglars had broken into the place at midnight? One of them had throttled mrs. Carey and the other one was threatening him with a revolver When some noise frightened them away The countryside was searched for the two men, but they were never apprehended and the verdict of the coroner's jury was that mrs. Carey had come to her death at the hands of person or persons unknown Carey seemed heartbroken after the tragedy and finally not succeeding in selling the old house He left it in charge of a caretaker and went abroad to live In all these intervening years. He had never returned to his birthplace Nor could anyone be induced to rent the place tom grimstead thought as he stood in front of the Carey mansion at dusk one september afternoon that he had never seen a more repellent-looking house there was something indescribably repugnant about it as if one were contemplating the corpse of a house horror surrounded it like a nimbus and grimstead's first impulse was to walk hastily away but shaking off the feeling of dread that had settled upon him like an incubus he resolutely walked up the weed-encumbered walk that led to the front door, armed with a key that he had experienced no difficulty in securing from a cynical real estate agent who promptly offered a wager that he would not stay the night out, a wager that Grimstead as promptly accepted. He carried a handbag that contained a supply of sandwiches, a small automatic, half a dozen fat candles, a flashlight, And two volumes of Poe's grisliest short stories. Ironically, he thought of these as his ghost props. But stout nerved as he was, Grimstead shrank back instinctively as the front door slammed shut, leaving him in impenetrable darkness. This instantaneous plunge into blackness was sudden enough to daunt anyone, and for a second time that afternoon. Grimstead was tempted to abandon his ghost quest Then he reflected that the thrills are what he had come for and he was disgusted at the realization That he was allowing his subconscious self to be affected by the stories he had heard If he were really a skeptic as he had always prided himself on being He was on the verge of the most interesting adventure of his none too dull life so he opened his handbag by touch alone turned on his flashlight and took stock of his surroundings he was in an old-fashioned living room at the far end of which was a huge open fireplace in front of him a fine specimen of colonial architecture in the shape of an imposing staircase pointed the way to adventure on the second floor the large room was fully furnished but the smell of decay and mildew assailed grimstead's nostrils The atmosphere was heavy and fetid odors of bygone days seemed to meet and commingle and the air held a penetrating chill Something soft brushed against his face in the semi-gloom and he started back involuntarily and then laughed nervously It was a death's head moth and the creature settled upon the back of a large upholstered chair its wings spread wide shivering as the bright ray of the flashlight illuminated its ghastly markings. With a small shiver that was not entirely due to the chill of the place, Grimstead started up the stairs in search of Mrs. Carey's bedroom, which, he had been told, was the front room at the left of the upper hallway. But first he explored the other rooms, finding them all furnished but reeking with desolation and decay time had wrought sad havoc upon objects of inestimable value to the collector of colonial antiques grimstead now turned the handle of the door that led to the dead woman's bedchamber and found himself in an ancient boudoir about which still clung the elusive odor of mignette and lavender against one side of the wall was an antique dressing-table but the surface of the long mirror which had in bygone days often reflected The fair image of Selma Carey was now opaque blurred over by the film of years near the dresser was a four-poster bed covered with a yellowed counterpane and two pillows were in place at its head it was hard to believe that no one had slept there for 20 years with the exception of the dust that covered everything and the dank smell the room and its furnishings appeared to have been left as they were on the day of the tragedy and grimstead found himself glancing from time to time at the door of the dressing room which was about ten feet from the bed as if he expected a charming figure indescribable to come romping into the room at any moment so acute was this impression that he strode across the room and threw open the door of the dressing room peering curiously within It contained an old-fashioned tin bathtub, the paint from which was chipped off here and there, giving it a dismal look of dilapidation. On the rusted metal towel rack hung a rotting bath towel, and from a hook in the wall was suspended a mildewed dressing gown that had once been lavender-colored. With a look of infinite pity, Grimstead closed the door softly behind him, his vivid imagination conjuring up the picture of a lovely woman with golden hair cascading to her waist, humming a gay little tune as she prepared for her bath. He now set the stage for his lonely vigil. Lighting one of his fat candles, he placed it upon the dusty dresser in such a position that its flame illuminated the bed. Then he stuck another above the fireplace on the white marble mantelpiece. Drawing up a small dressing table, he placed his third candle upon that, and then he dusted off a comfortable Morris chair with wide arms and placed it where he could command a view of the entire room. The dressing table was at his left, within easy reaching distance, and on this he placed his sandwiches, his automatic, and his volumes of Poe satisfied with these strategic arrangements he lit his pipe sank into the big chair and was soon immersed in the fall of the house of usher which he had decided was the proper yarn for the time the place and the man it was so silent in the house that the scampering of mice in the wainscot sounded as loud as the romping of newfoundland dogs every now and then one of them would squeal As if it were being murdered and Whenever this happened Grimstead would pause in his reading and look up with a startled tenseness expecting to see he knew not what The wind was rising and it howled and moaned like a tortured spirit Striving with futile hands to force an entrance through the rotting eaves of the ancient house It was an eerie sound and Grimstead found himself forced to exert all his willpower in order to concentrate upon the harrowing tale which he was reading. He felt like a spectator awaiting the climax to a particularly dramatic scene in a melodrama. Then came a lull in the wind, and the mice suddenly ceased to scamper as if at a signal from a master mouse. The big old house appeared to be waiting in suspense, holding its breath. Grimstead had reached the point in his story where the sound of muffled blows from the vault was reverberating through the ill-fated house of Usher. "Madman," he read. "I tell you," he looked up quickly. The dying down of the wind and the cessation of the scamperings in the wainscot made the room feel as dead as stagnant water looks. But it was not the nerve-racking stillness that had galvanized Grimstead to alert attention. It was the unalterable conviction that someone, or something, was lurking near him. Reaching stealthily for the automatic, he glanced keenly around the room. Certainly he was the only living soul there. But the door of the dressing room was slowly opening. 2. Grimstead stared incredulously at the widening aperture. He had thoroughly inspected the room less than a half an hour before and no living creature could have been concealed there Nor was there any other door to the room? The thing was impossible yet. It was happening before his eyes Whiter whiter the door opened and then as Grimstead held his breath in suspense Something stepped into the room He could not see it, but he felt it And an icy wind suddenly stirred the roots of his hair at the realization that he was no longer alone He heard the ghostly sound of footsteps crossing the room and Then the candle on the dresser suddenly wavered as if a passing breeze had slightly stirred it As the paralyzed newspaper man gazed wide-eyed from his chair there came from the dresser an unmistakable sound of hairpins Tinkling down into a celluloid tray Thinking that an over vivid imagination was playing him tricks Grimstead by a tremendous effort of will Sat erect in his chair and was about to spring to his feet when an amazing thing stupefied him once more into inaction The ghostly footsteps crossed the carpet once more like a soft brushing of unseen wings and grimstead saw the bed suddenly sag as if a body were lying there and then one of the pillows became indented as if a head were resting there something invisible was reclining upon the bed as this incredible fact percolated through grimstead's understanding blind panic assailed him only one thing he confessed afterward Prevented him from becoming a gibbering idiot That was his discovery that the door leading into the dressing room, which was wide open after his visitant had entered Was now tightly closed This tended to convince him that the entire episode was an hallucination due to overwrought nerves At any rate he sprang back to his feet determined to probe the mystery to its depths When a sound smote upon his ear that stiffened him in his tracks and made him snatch the automatic hurriedly from the table Someone was coming up the stairs He heard the sound of shuffling reluctant footsteps As if the person thing or whatever it was were disinclined to make the ascent slower and more hesitant became these ominous footsteps and Grimstead now utterly unnerved Gripped the automatic frantically and turned a white face in the direction of the bedroom door Not knowing what to expect But he felt convinced that if this door opened as the other had done and no tangible thing entered He would scream like a hysterical woman Unwilling footsteps had now reached the landing outside the door and came to a halt there as if the intruder were listening this weight seemed indeterminable to the crouching newsman who stood immovable by the table, his automatic aimed straight at the door. Finally, there was a shuffling of feet, and then a hand turned the knob. Slowly, the door opened. Hands up! cried Grimsby hoarsely, or I'll shoot! What the devil? growled the surprised voice, and Grimsby emitted a high sigh of relief. At least it was a human being. A heavily built, bearded man about fifty years old, a stranger to Grimsby, walked slowly into the room, first glancing around fearfully before allowing his gaze to rest upon Grimsby. Now then, he said coldly, who are you and what are you doing in this house? Just what I was going to ask you, grinned Grimsby, his self-possession now fully restored. I am began the stranger and then came the crowning horror of the memorable evening The man's voice suddenly broke and his tan face went livid with fear He was staring with a look of indescribable terror at the bed What's that who's there? He whispered in high-pitched terror-laden accents Why what stammered Grimsby? And then froze into a gaping figure of a man the indentations in the bed and pillow slowly straightened out like a flat automobile tire when the air rushes in once more Grimsby heard those ghostly footsteps and then the bearded man shrieked like a demon in hell Selma for God's sake, don't he gasped I didn't mean to do it I swear I didn't mean to do it he staggered back Fumbling at his throat and gasping for breath Take your hands away. He panted my god. You're throttling me His voice died out in a choking gurgle and he staggered wildly around the room Pulling desperately at his throat as if trying to unloosen the clutching of hands Grimstead took hold of the struggling figure You're mad. He cried. There is no one here The stranger did not seem to hear his eyes were rolling in his head and his face was turning a mottled purple Up and down the room he thrashed in agony Trying vainly to break the deadly hold that was apparently fastened upon his windpipe with the grip of a maddened bulldog It was a horrible sight and grimstead could no longer but follow the agonized man who seemed destitute of all reason the end came quickly Suddenly there was a rattling sound in the man's throat and then he sank slowly to his knees and toppled forward on his face Once more the sound of invisible footsteps And Grimstead looked up from the dead body in time to see the door of the dressing room open quickly and close Then he lost all control over his twitching nerves and ran shrieking out of the room down the stairs and out into the fresh sweetness of the September night staggering like a drunken man his brain reeling from the horrors of that fetid bedroom three the sight of the familiar street and the feeling of the wind blowing in his face partially restored his faculties to normal but he was trembling like a drug fiend as he entered dr. Stoughton's office and his speech was so incoherent that the amazed physician was convinced that he was either intoxicated or insane. But as the spell of the horror wore away, and Grimstead began to talk more rationally, Dr. Stoughton realized that this was no ordinary case, and that Grimstead was neither intoxicated nor insane. He was that most pathetic of all objects, a strong man suffering from overwhelming fright. Dr. Stoughton had been the Carey's physician and was for many years Wendell Carey's closest friend So it was with very grave face that he went back to the house with Grimstead Accompanied by Mort Farley an official who fatuously called himself Sedley's chief of police It was with a strong shudder that Grimstead entered the house that had shattered his skepticism to bits and followed the two men upstairs everything in the bedroom was just as he had left it his candles were still burning and his automatic lay where it had fallen from his nerveless hand in the center of the room was a huddled heap that had once been a man hmm this looks bad ejaculated dr stoughton as he bent over the prostrate figure he turned the body over and the face peered up at him distorted And black as a charred log my god it's weldon Carey he shouted drawing back from the corpse in sudden horror how do you know asked Farley in awestruck tones it's been 20 years and this man wears a beard dr. Stoughton lifted the man's limp left hand I can tell by this amethyst ring on the little finger he explained it was given to him by his mother and he has always worn it on that finger as it is too small to fit any of the others what do you think caused his death doctor asked Grimstead. it was a sudden rush of blood to his head said dr. Stoughton caused by a tremendous shock of some sort then after a pause it couldn't have been anything else there are no marks on his throat and he looked challengingly at the newspaper man i only know what i know replied grimstead and he told the whole story again for farley's benefit not omitting the slightest detail when he had finished the police official looked doubtfully at dr sloaton this sort of a case was outside of his own ken frankly i'm puzzled over all of this began the physician looking more closely at the face of the dead man it's very evident that-hello he broke off abruptly. This is devilish queer, I must say. Taking a small magnifying glass from his bag, he bent over the body and examined the throat carefully. This is the most extraordinary thing that has ever come within my medical knowledge, he said gravely. What is it asked his companion curiously. When I first looked at Carry, explained the physician there were no marks whatsoever upon his throat It was strangely white in contrast to his blackened face but now look He handed the glass to Grimstead. The newspaper man looked started and then looked again Without a word he handed the glass to Farley who looked through it long and hard Then he whistled softly fingerprints he said laconically exactly said dr. Slotin they have come out on the skin like a rash Carrie's throat looked like an undeveloped negative when I first looked at it but now through some queer phenomenon it has been developed a little silence followed his words did you perhaps notice anything else when you looked through the glass continued dr. Stoughton what for instance asked grimstead those fingerprints on his throat were those of a woman said dr stoughton they were much too small to have been inflicted by a man good lord said farley but they couldn't have been inflicted by a woman observed grimstead satirically because you said my story was a hallucination beings that figure in a hallucination cannot commit real murders can they grunted dr stoughton then with a puzzled frown what do you think of all this grimstead there's only one way to think replied the newspaper man carry undoubtedly murdered his wife and came back to visit the scene of his crime as murderers from time immemorial have done his wife's ghost was in this room i am as certain of that as i am my name is grimstead it was Selma Carey's fingers that reached from the grave and strangled her husband. Bosh, ejaculated the physician, such things are impossible. Grimstead shrugged his shoulders. Nothing is impossible nowadays, doctor, he said. The End of Fingers From the Grave By Edwin Carey Rennick.